0: Hi, I'm Mike Seidel, CTO here at Pivot CX. And today I'm joined by David Bernstein, our VP of all things revenue. And today we've got a really special guest today, Kevin Walters. He's a longtime recruiter, um, absolute expert on diversity and inclusion, and he is the one and only diversity chef. Kevin, great to
1: have you today. Hey, thanks for having me, Mike and David. And, um, yeah, I was a recruiter. uh, practitioner, moved to program manager back in around 2017, 18 at Amazon, was a, a program leader for learning and development and helping train other recruiters. And then uh, transitioned to running a diversity department organization for a company called Silk Road and mer- that had merged with Intello. So. Uh, so recruiting is always gonna be in my blood, sourcing's always gonna be in my blood, and I truly enjoy um, you know, having that twenty years of talent acquisition management experience that's helped me, you know, transform organizations. So always,
0: Our, always great. Well, we got to jump right to the fun part on this. So so you're changing the world one great meal at a time. Tell us about Diversity Chef and, and what you do for companies and how you do it.
1: Yeah, Diversity Chef is my newest venture. Um, actually, conceptualized about uh, two years ago. Um, I did a presentation at SourceCon called "The Secret Salt so- Sauce," and folks probably remember that. In actually, it was last year, 2022.
2: Mm.
1: You know, uh, almost two years, but. Diversity Chef is a concept that I, you know, in understanding how culture comes together and understand a little historical context of food that's intertwined. Um, When you think about the history of food and like culture, like let's use the African-American and Black culture, right? And when you think about slavery and, and, and all the different regions of the country, the food was intertwined because slaves would cook for their masters, European uh, people would also share food and culture with with, with different populations. And that intermingling is where you'll see a lot of mixture of food. So in different parts of the region, like for example, wider in the South, is there okra and chitlins and different things and in the Midwest, corn, right? It's because of the culture and the backgrounds of like the indigenous farmers and people in Latin America, they're actually more fused with all different types of culture when you look at their food right indigenous african-american and 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 other demographic races so i think people don't really realize the context in that you know food is really a natural connector for us to learn about one another and learn about culture and most of us our entry point you know whether we are risk averse or not we tend to be a little curious, right? We'll try, if I said, hey, Mike and David, tell me about what's your favorite food or like international meal and how did you come across that? It might've been because of someone else, right? I know my best friend, um, one of my best friends was Indian. He introduced me to Indian food uh, years, years ago when I lived in Atlanta and I learned about a lot about the culture from the North and the South and the regions um, because of my introduction and just interest and love of Indian food now, which is very similar to my background, which is Jamaican food. So that's a little bit about the history of food, but really what I do is I help companies through the magic of food, become more inclusive and equitable and create a culture where people can learn and have fun in an engaging way. And people say like, how do you do that? So I work with a team of chefs here in Las Vegas uh, of diverse backgrounds. And we all come together with our passions, mine being the Jamaican uh, flavor of food. And we just create like a culinary experience, like through workshops and through engagement and through education, we can build and help you understand more about that culture, as well as help you build a plan to foster inclusion within your company from a tactical stance. So, um, so far it's been well received, uh, overwhelmingly great response, um, from people that not only just are foodies and love food, but people are just naturally gravitate to wanting to try things. And so, yeah, I'm excited about it and I'm excited to really, uh, talk to more companies like yours and other organizations in, you know, helping bridge some meaningful conversations between uh groups right and underrepresented populations and talent
2: i love the metaphor as well kevin Uh, great food is good flavors coming together in a way that individually they're okay but they're even better when they all come together seems to me that's an awesome metaphor
1: yeah and and it's digestible
2: right there yeah on top of it right so yeah, the coming together, creating something amazing that's better than the individual parts, and and really yeah, great great outcome, right?
1: Don't get me started on the food metaphors because I have a lot of little cliche marketing terms that I've learned, but no, <laughs> it's it's definitely, you know, what I try to offer is, you know, companies still need to understand inclusion is the future of your workforce, right? Because, you know, it's not a project, it's not you know something that's a trending and you can afford to really let's just be honest leave money on the table and when you're leaving out certain demographic groups that exactly is what you're doing is you're leaving money on the table there are people that are interested in buying your solution that you're not talking to or addressing and you're hoping that they're interested in you but they're not going to be interested in you because they don't feel like you're you're like they're relevant and this is the disconnect, I think, between a lot of uh, corporations and the workforce, and understanding that, you know, the workforce is demographically changing. Right? We have four generations of 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 of, of people trying to work together. Us, right. the old heads, right? You know, you got the baby boomers like Mike. No, I'm just kidding, Mike. Yeah. But you have the folks, yeah. You know, you have the millennials, you have the Gen Z. So. Everyone communicates differently, right? And for those of us that have, have children or teenagers, you you surely know what I mean. When your teenager walks past you, the front door goes into their room and then texts you and say, hey, dad, how are you doing? How was, how was your day? And you're like, wait a minute, you just saw me in the living room. I'm like, well, why are you texting me? We're in the same house. That sounds so like that Thursday in my house. Well, if that doesn't tell you, hey, you know, like the communication styles are different and we need to engage these groups differently and make sure that, one, if you want them to buy from you, they're looking at you, even if you're not looking at them. And they're making a decision and saying, hey, I, you know, I don't see other people like me in this company. I don't see anything about sustainability. I don't see how this company's inclusive or you know have other folks that you know look like me and that decision will hurt you financially
2: so i think back kevin about a bunch of the companies i've worked for over the years and we did an okay job on the diversity side of it but we were horrible at the inclusion right the the i'll go back to the food thing but you know i, I like I, I can even if i close my eyes I, lunchtime was a great example right there'd be all the asians would be in one corner of the cafeteria right all the hispanics on another side right it it just there, there wasn't the mix they were everybody in the same room together but there wasn't the interaction right it just was so we did a good job of getting diverse folks working in the same building together but they weren't necessarily interoperating together am i making sense
1: yeah, and David, you know, the problem with that is, I'll just use, I like to use a lot of analogies, and s- simple analogies, just think. That's like me throwing a party, sending a bunch of invites, and you showing up, and you 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 come in, and you go, hey, you know what? <laughs> this is not the type of music or food that I like. I'm out of here. Right. I mean, we've all done that, I'm sure. We've all gone to a bar or gone somewhere, opened the door, walked in, and said, uh, yeah, I don't think this is a a fit for me right and that's how your that's how some employees feel when they when they view you or they walk into your workplace and so if they happen to actually join and sit at the bar right or have a drink or you know then it's a matter of do they feel like they belong and so you know does your playlist have different music or is it just playing rock and roll is it just playing hip-hop you know, and subconsciously, you know, I think we need to think of like, if you want to have mass appeal and I don't know a company that says, you know what, I want to turn down money because it's green. Money is only <laughs> one color. And at the, end of, you know, I, I, at the end of the day, I like to make make it real tangible for folks. Do you want green money? Do you want dollars, right? From a broad base of consumers and everyone is going to raise their hand and say, yes. Okay, how do we get there? And that's where I, you know, and myself and other, I think, people in this industry who, who really understand uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion can come in and really help you achieve those goals. If you're if you're not looking at this at this as, you know, a financial goal or looking at this as, you're just looking at this as, as a nice-to-have, you know, Chances you are, have to. it may not be in existence in the next 20 years if you plan it. Yeah.
0: Kevin, you have to treat diversity and inclusion as a have to have. It's not it's not optional anymore. Um, and, and it's not optional anymore, not because the government says so, not because of bad things that can happen. But I think that you're right. The, the, you're talking about uh, money. And without having that diversity, you are putting yourself at a huge competitive disadvantage. You really are yeah so i I have an interesting little experience i want to share with you kevin because it's it came from uh it's my very first corporate job it's with a company that that uh, is no longer with us that was called uh, vanstar and then it merged with another one called Inacom. but i was about 24 years old and i i was on my first week on the job and i got my first lesson about corporate diversity and inclusion at the very first new hire welcome aboard lunch that they threw for all 40 of us that they had just hired. And they made a really simple mistake with the food, and that's that they, uh, the catering company put bacon in the green beans. And uh, well, we had a lot of uh, brand new uh, people that were Islamic, and we had uh, several new Jewish <laughs> workers that were hired. So there was uh, actually out of that group of 40, about 12 of them couldn't eat that meal. And it was a realization that, Hey, this, this stuff is actually important. And that's always stuck with me because it was such a simple mistake and it was a meal and on top of that, it was totally preventable with a little bit of forethought.
1: Yeah. And it's, it's funny you said that because although they might've been able to rectify that mistake right? Because that was maybe day one and someone said, oh my gosh, we apologize. We should have checked and understood or sent a survey or asked you. And now you see companies do that, right? Like even if you're doing an off-site, someone says, hey, do you have any meal preferences? Do you, are you vegetarian? I think we get it now with food. But we should be doing that same thing with our culture, right? I mean, we should be surveying and checking in with our employees. So that's a great example, Mike. Like before they show up, We should be, we should understand what's of value, right? And what do we have to offer in our workplace to make everybody want to work there? Now, if you want to have a homogenous company, then ignore everything I just said and do, keep doing business the way you are and have that segment of the population that you enjoy doing business with. And you know what? Good luck to you, right? It, It may work for you for some period of time. Maybe it does, maybe it doesn't, but your competitors are going to, you know, who, who are, or get the message. They're going to be working with a broader range of consumers and who, let me just ask you, do you think is going to last longer? Like, especially now when we're in a recession, do you want to have dependency on one demographic group? I personally would like to have all buyers and if anything, that's security, right. From a business standpoint, So when I think I think we all
0: forget, it's super important if you want to be able to reach markets, if you want to reach buyers, having the people that understand the cultures you're trying to reach on your team, it's critical. Um, It's critical to have that. Uh, You know, I go back to that thing that happened to me and it would have just taken one person on the team with an awareness of kosher and halal food to be able to have prevented what what, uh, you know, seemed pretty innocuous, but ended up showing a really serious issue in the company. Um, um, it, it would have been easy to solve that, but there really wasn't diversity there. And, and this group that they had just hired, I think was the first time that they had reached outside of their target demographic. And I'm, I'm judging that based on the 300 other people that worked in this office and what they looked like. So, and we've um,
1: seen, um, we've seen some companies pay a dear price for making those mistakes. Absolutely. Right? Like L'Oreal, I think Gerber, mm-hmm. You know, in Africa, I mean, if you don't understand who your your consumer is and you make that mistake, it could be very costly from a business standpoint. H&M, you know, if you remember that, um, you really got to sometimes I wonder and I say, wow, how did that happen? But, you know, (laughs) it's obvious that whoever was in that room when that decision was being made was not thinking about other people that were not in that room and i'm not even saying it has to be someone from that background like i don't think you have to have a pairing like wine of one indigenous for you know one african-american that's not what i'm saying but i am saying you do need to have at least the research or have people that understand culture different cultures that can help you make educated decisions
2: so, you know, Kevin, when you and I were talking um, before the uh, the podcast today, I, I really keyed in on something you were saying, because I don't know a lot of companies that purposely try to be homogenous, maybe, I, I, you know, it becomes an unintended outcome of a lot of just things that are happening, people's natural biases and styles. And it just suddenly then it, it became that way, right? That this purposeful, intentional, put yourself in a, in a, in another world, put go out there, may, maybe be uncomfortable, right? Can can you talk a little bit more about, because yeah. getting to that place is not easy, right? We, we all conceptually, hardly anybody would argue that this is a bad business decision to do it. And yet here we are more than 20 years later, still banging that still, drum. So, still yeah. struggling, yeah. Well, so, so what do You what know, David, thoughts?
1: what yeah. you said, uh, we, we talked about this and I, I, you know, some of the things I threw out there and I thought. And I've always seen, I feel fortunate to have been, have been a, a you know kid that like my parents, immigrants from Jamaica, West Indies, moving to, you know, North Bronx, the South Bronx, moving from the South Bronx to the North Bronx. That was a really very diverse neighborhood. So like I benefited from like growing up with kids that didn't even speak English, but they were from different backgrounds and having to learn how to collaborate. Right. We still had, we able to like play catch, right. And throw balls and everything. And you'd be surprised. That's why I think kids get it more than we do, but you know, the ability to want to expand your network and be uncomfortable doing so is a real thing because most of us, Socialize in the networks where we feel comfortable. Like we go to a church that we feel is safe, or, you know, places that historically, you know, maybe because of our backgrounds or family and traditions that we're just accustomed to being there. Schools, Absolutely. our kid goes to a school that, you know, based on the neighborhood and zip code that they're zoned for that we pay for. But you do, that's why this is a, this is a mindful and intentional effort that has to be made by the individual in the organization. This is not, and I think that's the fallacy and the mistake that a lot of companies think that this can organically happen without doing anything. Like if you just hang a shingle on the, you know, on your building, like, well, people just start walking in the door. So how do you get there? You you figure a way to bridge those connections. Like you go to other groups, just like if I wanna learn about the indigenous community, then I'm gonna find out, I always say go with a fish hangout. So I might go to a meetup group and yeah, I might go there. And the first time I'll feel uncomfortable maybe the second time, but the third time they're going to, hey, they're going to know my name and they're going to wonder why I'm there. And then I'm going to tell them why I want to learn about their culture, yeah whatever it is. And there are ways and a lot of different ways, I think for us to educate ourselves, but it does take uh, the initiative and the effort, right? And it doesn't always have to be face-to-face, could be just, you know what? Picking up a book, right? Learning, like there's, here's the problem, David. And there's so much information out there. You guys know we're, you know, we're in that age bracket where, you know, there were libraries and stuff. Like kids today can just get on their phone and they can tell you anything. They can fact check anything we say. So with the availability of information, we should actually know more,
2: not less. So are you seeing any good examples of businesses doing this in practice, either in the recruiting or just in their day-to-day business lives? And you don't have to name names. Yeah, you know, companies I
1: think that are successful when you look at like the top companies, you know, for diversity and and a lot of them are Mm -hmm. consumer-based. Consumer goods are companies that deal, you know, not B2B, but really B2C and they get it, right? Because they need to have that expansion. They are very community involved. They also understand that diversity is not linear. You're not just looking for a diverse talent. Like you said, you, you worked for a company that was just focused on the hiring side. No, they're looking at it holistically from supplier relationships, community involvement, developing socialized groups within the company. Uh, hey, hiring salespeople that are of a diverse background so they could sell to the diverse consumer. Heck, um, leadership. You know, having thought leadership that provides a diversity of thought and ability to problem solve and, you know, for the decisions that are more impactful and filtered down, you you know, having someone of a, a diverse background that can say, hey, you know what, we should be thinking of X and Y or having empathy towards these different groups is very helpful but it really takes kind of slicing across your organization and looking at all the different areas of your business, right. And seeing how you could create some equitable outcomes in those areas. It's not, maybe, so, it's not one place.
0: So Kevin, the, you know, as, as we, you kind of look at, at the world out there, what are some things that business leaders can do to identify, Hey, I might have a little bit of a diversity problem and, and, and I need some help with this. how how do you self-diagnose aside (laughs) i just got a letter from the government
1: yeah Yeah, there are companies that know because they're like as a government contractor or because of their compliance they need to you know be aware and more aware but i think you know awareness is almost a disease in itself always say that like you know if we all had the awareness that was necessary you know there wouldn't be all this finger pointing at, like saying hey it's that person's fault they would look inside first and so you know some of the workshops and things that I've done and you know I'd say hey call me right I'm happy to advise and be strategic and talk to you know CEOs or execs and giving them very strategic uh, plans about what they can do but you know outside of that it's just understanding that you most likely have an inclusion problem, but it's where. And so how do you fix it? That's where you need to find an expert or find someone that can really and I'll tell you what I do, Mike Simply. My simple test. And and this is like even a test that I always use with folks. They're like, oh yeah. You know, we're we're a diverse, we we focus on diversity, we're a diverse company. I go, how do you know? What does diversity mean in your company? And then they go. And I, it, even if you don't have the hardline metrics, like it doesn't always mean black, white, you know, indigenous. When it, I think in the in our in the U.S., we focus so much on race and and gender, when we don't really understand that the diversity is also intersectionality and backgrounds of different backgrounds, like you mentioned. You know i think you said the muslim community Mm -hmm. folks that were working at your company well that's diversity uh different religions being able to work together without conflict um even within the same demographic race and so what i typically do with organizations is um, because that data is usually not asked or tracked and people are not going to usually be willing to give that information for fear Absolutely, of right. being other. Hey, I don't <laughs> want to say I'm a new or diverse individual, and I may need an accommodation because I'm not sure if my employer truly understands autism or ADHD or what neurodiverse uh, abilities are. And so, we have to first start bringing the awareness and education up. And then, what I typically do is I do an assessment, like a simple survey of your population to understand. And that's what I did with uh, Silk Road when I was there, head of diversity leaders. First thing I did was ask for the, whatever data we had on demographic. And I was able to get like the gender and race data, which a lot of companies may have for EELC compliance purposes. But then I also did an inclusion survey that mm-hmm. I created that helped us to really understand if there are other folks that we should be you know paying attention to and in doing so um before rolling out that survey voiced it to our employees he's saying hey i'm your new leader this is what i'm going to be doing but here's why i'm doing it and if you if you give people a reason why you want to do something instead of just pulling the trigger then hey if i'm going to do something to benefit you why would not want you to do it and so i got a lot of participation and was able to understand that we had populations of newer diverse individuals within the company, um, that we needed to make accommodations for. But you got to get to that place of trust within your company.
2: It's not easy. I
0: love it. I love it. No. So it's, uh, it's so hard sometimes when to go ask tough questions of, of everybody in the company and, and get them to share. But if you can, if you can get through that, I, I you have some really great things can happen. So that's wonderful. So Kevin, we have hit the point at, that we usually ask our guests, a couple of, of questions that, and we ask everybody the same two questions. And, uh, I don't know about half the time they get them wrong. So this will be fun. Um, <laughs> all right. Look, all right. Uh, so, um, What book have you read that's really changed your thinking
1: about business? Oh, wow. Yeah, there's, the last two books I read, um, I'll tell you, and one I'm I'm still kind of reading. And one of the books actually, I do audio books a lot. Okay. I'm actually a neurodiverse individual and I'm very visual as well, like visual spatial meaning like i see a lot of uh you know things like in imagery and creative in that sense um so one of the books i read recently by jay shetty was called think like a monk and Hmm. it's a book that really talks about just being a better individual and values and you know it it could almost be a diversity and inclusion book because it talks a lot about being valued and respected and um, Jay, his story was there's a guy that was you know, poised to work on Wall Street in India, and he decides to become a monk, and it's a life-changing experience, and his parents, of course, want to kill him for making that decision, and he talks about some of the values and things that he learned in life that really helps him make him a better individual, and for me, I think I love motivation, like I listen to, you know, like E.T., Eric Thomas, like, you know, there's tons of folks online that I just watch on YouTube for inspiration and such. But I think if we can make ourselves better, right, as individuals, then that makes us collectively better as a company and as an organization. And so another book that I read recently was called Everyday Ubuntu. and it was written by the granddaughter of, um, I forgot the former um, president of South Africa, but it talks about that experience of the transformation from you know, the African American, Black, I'm sorry, the Black population in South Africa moving to where they are right now, right after, um, you know, um, oppression. And it's, again, it's a, a book that I think when you look at it and you say like, how could this be relevant? It teaches leaders a lot about empathy and just understanding that when you're dealing with other demographic groups and culture, you need to have empathy for people in general. And I think that we're seeing a lack of that today, right? Like companies are just pulling the cord like on a Friday and you know, releasing their workforce and Hey, they don't have benefits on Monday
0: and yeah, there's, unfortunately, there's just a lot of that going on and, uh, you, you know, that one and, and, uh, emailing people a pink slip and turning off their access to email before they read it, uh, you know, all kinds of crazy stuff.
1: Yeah. And at the, at, you know, at the core of it, we're dealing with people, right. That have yeah. families and, 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 you know, how do you, how you turn around and build your culture again? Like after, you know, watching that, right? I've heard people say, you know, I'll never go work for that company regardless. Or or they may go work for you, but they'll never commit and be loyal.
0: Yeah, they will always be mercenaries after you treat them that way.
1: Uh, It's it's different. Your productivity could go from here to here if you have a more collaborative culture. And I'm a big sports guy and you've seen teams, right? Like that, Mm -hmm. like Texas Rangers, I'm not a big baseball fan, but you see these teams, like, how do you win the World Series? Like, how do you win the championship, Denver Nuggets? Like, how does the Vegas Knights win? How does the Aces win? And it's, they're not even always the most talented team because the value, the respect, and the culture that they've put together Allows them right. to, you know, work harder and enjoy what they're doing. And when people are more engaged, they're going to be more productive. And can I use another scenario? Which means you're going to make oh, go more money. go for it! <laughs> Absolutely. Which is, which, is, which is going to you're going to make more money. So,
0: right. So, last question: uh, favorite movie?
1: Oh, I love all the Mission Impossible's. I'm a big comic geek, so I like all the Spider-Man in the multi-universe movies that have just been released. Um, I'm an action thriller kind of guy. I, I love, I'm, I don't I don't get into the horror pictures because I'll have nightmares. Too shallow in that sense, but <laughs> anything with action, you know, if I could be an action superhero,
0: uh Yeah. Tom well, I think you would get along so well with my son he he loves uh, loves all the new Spider-Man multiverse movies that actually it, it's funny of all the things that's the one that he, he was re, re, rewatched those movies probably 20 times each.
1: And, it, and you know when if you I don't know if you've watched the movie. I have. It's very diverse and it addresses Absolutely. all issues and it was like wow we've never really seen this right. But you know it shows, and the appeal is mass appeal to all it, demographics of people because of that. It's done very well.
0: I I totally agree with that. That that's when I saw the first time I I saw the newest one, I walked away from it going. They they my wife's from El Salvador, so I I have had the the, the multiple cultures in my house uh, thing, and it was really interesting having the parents. You had you know the, the police officers, black men. You have the hispanic wife and they absolutely nailed that it was amazing to see them actually the the pregnant
1: superhero yes right like you know that was i tell you what they i was like okay you guys are really trying to check boxes here like you crossed like they didn't leave anyone out (laughs) i can't think of any particular category you know we saw everything was addressed so it was (laughs) But it was fun because I think people at the end of the day, let's just be honest, people just want to see themselves, right, as a hero. Like, they just want to know it's possible, right? Yeah. Like, hey, and 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 unless you can visually see that brand or imagery of someone else that looks like you, you don't know that it's really possible,
0: so. So, last thing, um, Kevin. So, if somebody wants to get a hold of the Diversity Chef and, and talk with
1: you, what's the best way for them to reach you? Uh, LinkedIn is great. I always respond to messages there. You can use my email also, which is pretty easy to remember DiversityChef at topdeiconsulting.com.
0: And just for, for the audience here, we'll put everything down in the notes so you can get a hold
1: of Kevin the easy way. Yeah. And I'm very, I'm a very, like, I've had people just call me out of the blue. And I'm like, okay, how do they, I keep forgetting sometimes you list your number, right? And of course, today we're not probably used to getting phone calls, but I've had vendors and people just called me and I answered the phone. And I'm like, oh, okay. So I, I just love engaging, talking to folks. And, you know, obviously I'm passionate about what I do. So I want to help as many people as I can. So any way possible that I can provide collaboration or consulting to, you know, individuals or corporations, uh, please reach out um, and we'll see if we can make the world a better place. I know that kind of sounds aspirational, but. I don't know. It sounds like with you,
0: (laughs) exactly with you. It sounds great. It sounds like, Hey, we're going to make the world better one meal at a time. And, um, I just love it, love reaching people through food. It's it's uh, for whatever reason, it seems like that probably will get through the wall that that will get to get through. So thanks yep. so much for joining yep. David and I today and for yep. everybody watching. Have a great afternoon. Hope you have a great quarter.
1: Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure.